Headlines and the important question, would Warren Buffett buy Alibaba? Because this is where the money is. Hi, fools. Welcome to Monday's Financials edition of Where the Money Is. I'm financial analyst Michael Douglas, and I'm here with senior banking specialist John Maxfield. John, how's it going? It's going great, thanks. Is is the weather good in Portland? It's finally, you know what, it's finally started to rain, which uh, to most people, they might not, might not like that, but uh, for us here in Portland, it's, it's wonderful. Sort of something you're used to, so it's nice to kind of have that warm, comforting, cold, drizzly feeling from time to time. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, let's jump right in then. Uh, first headline is uh, U.S. existing home sales fall 1.8% in August. This is courtesy of our friends at the Wall Street Journal. Um, this is the first time in five months that U.S. existing home sales have fallen um, sort of month over month. Uh, compared to July, they're down, as I said, 1.8%. And compared to August of 2013, they were down by 5.3% year over year. So, John, what's the story here? Well, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of angst that was built up that they're saying that uh, this, new, this, these, this new news came out and it, it caused stocks to go down. But really, volatility like this is much ado about nothing, and it's something that we should expect in the housing market right now. So the two fundamental things that we do know that really should be driving how you think about the housing market are, first, that housing affordability is still really high, and that's a result of low interest rates. So even though interest rates have gone up over the last year, if you look out over the last, say, 30 or 40 years, they're still at roughly half the historical average. And because most people buy houses with mortgages, Having those interest rates low is going to drive your your affordability way up. And then on the other side of that, on the supply side, we're seeing that because houses were so inflated during that bubble, uh, and when a lot of people purchased their houses at that time, a lot of homeowners are still underwater, so that's constraining supply. So if you want to really see what's going on in the housing market, those are the two things you're going to want to watch. Sure. Well, and, and, and honestly, when you look at other indicators, like the fact that uh, residential construction is still running higher than a year ago, I mean, that tells me that the people in the know, the people who really watch this, you know, the home builders are still feeling fundamentally pretty bullish on this, or at least that's my read of it. Yeah, I mean, and things are improving. They're just improving slowly, mm-hmm. which is probably a healthy thing as opposed to anything else. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely hear that. That sounds good. All right, so we'll, we'll table that, and let's move on to our second headline. Tigers Robertson says bond bubble will end in, I quote, a very bad way. And this is courtesy of our friends at Bloomberg. Uh, Julian Robertson, who's uh, one of the better-known hedge fund managers in the United States, uh, said at a conference that there's a bubble in bonds that... that that the news doesn't look good, the prognosis doesn't look good, to quote healthcare. Um, and he's blaming the bubble more on governments than on individual investors. And, and, and a quote from that, you know, it's a worldwide phenomenon that governments are buying bonds to keep their countries moving along economically. So, of course, there are a few questions that investors have got to ask. But the first one is, let's just, let's just break down what's going on here. So what happens is when, when you have economies that are struggling, you'll have central banks come into the market. They'll buy bonds, which on the other side of that, that pushes interest rates down. By pushing interest rates down, that opens up the credit markets, and that, make that, and that kind of filters through to the economy through higher spending. So what we know, if you look back over the last 30 years, we've seen, there's a, there, if you look at like a, a bond interest rate chart, we've seen a decline since the early 1980s. Well, because bond prices and interest rates are inversely correlated, as those interest rates have come down to historic lows, bond prices are at, at historic highs. Mm-hmm. So this isn't anything new that's going on here. But because interest rates are basically, particularly short-term interest rates, are near zero, bond prices are basically as high as they can get. 
Sure. Now that makes sense. And, and so then the question, of course, and especially, you know, I know there are a lot of folks out there who are have mostly bond income portfolios. So what should the individual investor do about this? Well, the big question is not so much whether bond prices are expensive. To me, and this is what Robertson was referring to, the big question is whether or not there is a bubble. And I, I would say, and granted, I'm not a billionaire hedge fund manager like Jordan <laughs> Robertson, so you take this for what it's worth. Um, I would say that anytime you're talking about a bubble, you need irrational exuberance mm-hmm. a, as a part of that. And right now in the bond market, all, all, the high prices seem to be relatively understandable because these central bank purchases are, are driving, up, driving them up and things like that. I mean, this isn't necessarily irrational. So if you take that irrationality aspect out of it and you just look and, and you just assume that, look, bond prices are high, well, that's, that's not anything to really to get concerned about. Prices of bonds, stocks, everything else goes up and down all the time. So for the individual investor, you know, this is not something that I personally am concerned about. Um, but, you know, for those larger institutional guys, uh, this is something that I'm sure they're keeping a close eye on. Sure. Uh, and by the way, before we continue on any further, and, and we're going we're gonna to head into the, the Warren Buffett game in just a second, but uh, I've got to compliment you on your excellent choice of shirt. Uh, for those who are listening, we are wearing what seems to be pretty close to the same shirt, uh, despite the fact that we are across the United States. So, so well done, John. It was not planned. It was not <laughs> no, planned. It, was not planned. it truly is an example of, of great or perhaps, if our wives were speaking, feeble minds thinking alike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's how it goes. Okay, so let's move into, oh, I don't know. I've been excited about this since, since we chatted about it. What would Warren do? So, you know, this is a game in which we take something that happens in the news related to a specific company or event and then try to guess what Warren Buffett's reaction would be from an investor's perspective. Now, keep in mind, we're not claiming to speak for Warren Buffett. We're just saying, looking at sort of Buffett principles, what do we think the Oracle of Omaha, how do we think he would respond to it? So let's start out by laying out those principles, John. So you can break down Warren Buffett's, I've been talking in very general terms, you can break down his, his investment philosophy in common stocks into three central tenets. Um, the first is that he buys great companies that are run by great managements. And you can get an idea about this just with a cursory glance of his portfolio. He owns Wells Fargo, Coca-Cola, Walmart. I mean, these are big name companies run by professional managers who know what they're doing. The second part is that he buys these companies when they're trading for a reasonable price. So Wells Fargo, for example, it's his largest holding. He bought it in 1990. I think he established the position maybe in 1989 and 1990 when California was going through a real estate cycle and it had pushed down bank prices. So he got in at a good price in a great company. And the third part is that he holds on to his investments for a very, very long time. I think what his famous saying is, his favorite holding period is forever. So, so those are kind of the three things that guide his approach. And it's actually, you know, here at The Motley Fool, it's something that, that we think should be guiding individual investors' approach as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a, good, that's a good point. All right. So then taking those, let's go ahead and apply them to a couple situations. So... First one, you may have heard of this company. It is uh, currently holding the title for the largest IPO in the world, um, Alibaba. The, the uh, I, I was going to call it a tech company, but it's not just a tech company, right? It's an e-commerce giant. It's a bank. Um, it's got you know financial services, mobile payments, just all sorts of things. Um, it, humongous IPO. Uh, it's currently trading at about $90 a share. Its market cap is large, significantly larger than Amazon's. So would Warren Buffett buy Alibaba? 
Well, let's start out with saying, and this is, I, I suspect you would agree with me on this, that Alibaba is an extraordinary company. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's, I think the, the, anal- the analogy is that it's the, what the Amazon to China, but they, as you were saying, they have all of these other components to their business, which expands it, expands it so much further beyond your, just your, your mobile commerce. Um, and, you know, just to throw out some numbers, they, they think that they're projecting that e-commerce in China will roughly double over the next three years. And Alibaba owns something like 80% of the market share. So you're looking at something like $300 $300 billion increase in e-commerce with Alibaba taking something like 80% of that. Excuse me. So the numbers are really extraordinary. But that doesn't necessarily mean that this is a company that if you go through Warren Buffett's analysis that you'd want to buy as an individual investor. And let me just point out the main reason for that. Um, so one of his best-known quotes is that you want to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And what he's referring to is that, look, when, when all the excitement um, is built up in, you know, around the market, around a particular stock at one time, that's going to push that price up. It's going to push those valuations up really high. And when you push those up, you know, eventually that, that will either come down or it'll take a while for the stock, the actual fundamentals of the companies to catch up with that. Um, and I think that is probably the case here with Alibaba. Anytime you have, a, you have an IPO, you have a lot of marketing going on that's going to try to you know, get people excited about the stock and boost up its share price to maximize what Alibaba and its original investors get out of it. Um, and that's what we've seen with Alibaba. So you have this really high purchase price, and that goes against that, set, that second central tenant um, that we talked about a little bit earlier, um, that you want to buy great companies at reasonable prices. Yeah, well, and when you consider, I mean, Alibaba is trading more than 20 times sales right now. I mean, uh, listeners who have been listening for a while are familiar that I, I, I come, um, come originally from the healthcare bureau, and even in biotech, you don't really pay 20 times sales very often. I mean, that's just an incredible valuation, and I think it's one of the reasons why you see Warren Buffett being usually a little bit hedgier about tech companies because you kind of have those stretched valuations. So, but let's but yeah. let's just underline the fact that. You know, if you look at one of our top holdings uh, at the Motley Fool and some of our newsletter services, it is Amazon, and that holding that call was made really, really early, yeah. and it was made when those valuations were high. So this is not to say that Alibaba is a bad investment necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's not to say it is or is not, um, but it is to say that it's probably not one that would make it through uh, Warren Buffett's uh, philosophy. Well, right. And, and, and one of the nice things about you know, being at The Motley Fool is that we don't necessarily do things exactly like Warren Buffett. Um, there are definitely times when you sort of see the rule breakers mentality that David Gardner uh, pops out sort of coming about where we're looking at sort of high valuation, high opportunity companies, but all the other times when we're looking at sort of more value uh, more value-based stocks, sort of more along what I would consider kind of the Warren Buffett way of doing things. Um, okay, well, let's let's take a look then at our second one. So, another record-setting weekend for an iPhone debut. Uh, Apple's stock is trading at about $100 a share. Uh, you know, the, the uh, 6 and 6 Plus did $10 million in uh, 10 million phones last weekend, uh, which was what uh, a million more than for the 5S and 5C in that first weekend. Uh, it's an incredible amount. At this price, do you think Warren Buffett would be interested in Apple stock? So, you know, we were talking earlier, and I think you gave the number was, I think they sold 10 million iPhones over the weekend. And it's one of those things where, you know, last time, like you said, they sold 9 million. Just think like, oh, certainly, like, 
that's the most iPhones they can sell over a two or three day period at any one time, and then like they sell a million more. Right. And to, to and and to underline the point, last time when they released the 5s and the 5c, they released almost simultaneously in China, so they had those sales built in from that. This year they didn't do that, so you know, and it, that's your largest consumer market in the world. So it's really hard to say, you know, just how large this new phone could be for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like Alibaba, you know. Just because it's such an exceptional company doesn't necessarily mean that it's one that would uh, make it through Buffett's three central tenets. And in my opinion, I don't think it would. Now, I think it's closer than Alibaba because if you look at Apple, it is, I mean, it's a very understandable business model. It's got a ton of uh, very valuable brand equity in it. These are things you see um, with like your, your Procter & Gamble's. Um, and companies like that. So so there are elements of it that would be attractive to Warren Buffett. But again, you know, fundamentally, I, I think, let me, uh, there's this great quote that he wrote. He said, for investors, a too high purchase price for the stock of an excellent company can undo the effects of a subsequent decade of favorable business developments. And again, this is not to say that Apple isn't going to continue going higher. I mean, you know, at this point, there's every reason to believe it's going to continue having success. However, its stock is far from cheap. It's trading at a historically high um, level right now. So for that simple reason, uh, just like in the Alibaba case, I would say, and I I suspect you would agree, that this probably isn't one that Warren Buffett is rushing out to buy right now. I I, I would agree. Although, you know, I I will say personally, I am an Apple shareholder. It's actually a big percentage of my portfolio. So I'm really excited about the the growth opportunities of the business. And, you know, I think they've, they've done a lot of really smart moves in scaling up. And now some of their movement into financial services will be interesting, both on a personal level for me as a shareholder, but also for us as the Financials Bureau to be covering. Because I think it's going to be very interesting to see sort of these partnerships and, and how they're looking to revolutionize um, how we pay uh, for things with credit cards. Um, so it'll be very interesting to watch. I agree, 100%. All right, sounds good. Well, John, uh, thank you again for joining us from all the way from Portland. Um, thanks, for, thanks for watching. Uh, please stay tuned to Fool.com for all of your financials and other investing needs. And Fool on.